so much of what I'm doing when I'm taking elements of different styles and mashing them together and like going to very aggressively dissonant places in music theater songs. I always feel like a part of me is just looking at the ghost of Charles Ives and being like, I'm rubbing my gay little hands all over your dissonance. What do you think of that? Um, so I want to just throw that in there. That makes me really happy. I'm so glad. The guy who called Rachmaninoff rock not man enough. Yeah, well, yeah, use your ears like a man, you sissy. Uh, yeah, you know, all, that all that Yeah, but he had really big yeah. hands. Really big. Rachmaninoff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's disgusting to try and play those preludes. But not big enough for Charles. Uh, <laughs> who probably had very small hands. I'm here with Bryn Solomon, Alex Temple, and Devin Fanslow. They are my guests today for this program, Gender in Music. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bostead. Bryn, Alex, and Devin, thank you so much for being my guest today on the program. Mm, thank yeah, you absolutely. for having us. Anytime we have a composer on, and nobody has an origin story, I guess, like <laughs> we're all superheroes, nobody has the same origin story as a composer. So it's always really, really interesting for me how, uh, how people got into music and, and how the music develops. And everybody's brought in pieces that we're going to play on the program today. Um, so let's talk a little bit about specific pieces and, uh, and, and see where the conversation goes. Even if someone's talking about their own piece, if, if, if it sparks something in your mind, uh, feel free to weigh in on it because we're, we're in a round table format, which is, uh, which is really fun. And I hope somebody fights. Let's disagree. And, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Devin, let's talk about the piece that you brought in, the, uh, the sax quartet. Yeah. Um, I'm not 100% sure what year it was that I wrote that, but it was during my undergrad. Um, I had been going through this kind of phase where I was like, everything that I was writing had to do with some kind of like scientific concept. So with this piece, I uh, based it off of like the electromagnetic spectrum. So you start all the way on the left side on the low energy spectrum and then move through until you've kind of completed the whole thing. And the whole point of it was that it was going to feel like, you know, a constant increase in energy over time. And um, I, don't know, I feel like I had a lot of... Uh, that sort of uh, idea going on, uh, listening to a lot of like electronic music where it's a lot of like just morphing sounds and textures over time with, uh, you know, uh, them thematic components as well. And yeah, um, I feel like it's one of the better recordings that I was able to <laughs> get out of my uh, undergrad. I love that concept. How did you do that musically? Is it kind of an attrition thing where, where it gets the textures get thicker and thicker as the piece goes forward? Thicker, uh, yeah, more active especially, just, you know, more notes, faster tempos. Uh, the harmony starts getting a little bit more complex. But I tried to keep something kind of uh, homogenous through the entire thing was that uh, it's, it's over three movements representing each section of the electromagnetic spectrum. And um, each movement contains only two chords. Uh, and then like at the end of the piece, all six of the chords play kind of in a line.
That's music by Devin Fanslow. The piece is called Forces Part One. And we heard the BSU Sex Quartet, Amanda Fratangeli, Om Srivastava, Ethan Edwards, and Sean Sumwalt. Devin Fanslow is one of my three guests on the program today, along with Bryn Solomon and Alex Temple. And all three of our composers on the program today are transgender composers. So let's talk about that a little bit. Is that the correct terminology? I have a composer who's transgender. I don't know. I sort of prefer trans composer. I mean, for, for myself, the concept of the gender spectrum, or I didn't know of it when I was, say, a teenager. And it's something that I've only gradually really started to, to learn and, and, and to explore and to know more about. I mean, how do you all feel that you fall on the gender spectrum? Very far in one direction or more in, in the middle? I think I would want to frame it differently. I don't think it's exactly a spectrum because there are a lot of different variables involved in identifying gender. There's, you know, gender presentation in a visual sense. There's aspects of like the way people carry themselves. There's um, gender category, which can, you know, sometimes be very sort of sui generis. Um, I, I once saw somebody suggest that rather than a spectrum, we should talk about a gender ocean, um, which I think makes more sense because there are so many different points in it that are not just, you know, you can't just lay them out linearly. Yeah, I, I tend to think, I guess, less an ocean. More, I, The metaphor I get is like a nebula um, or it's like, this very diffuse cloud and like there there may be parts that are more dense and parts that are less dense in terms of and then similarities in how you might group people but it's it's a bunch of orthogonal axes that are all at 90 degrees to one another and you can be high or low on any one of them and it's very choose your own adventure <laughs> all that makes sense that there's tremendous pressure in society to be one or the other from the time you're a child you're gonna have blue or pink in your room and, and I mean, how much of this is even foisted upon you by your parents who are telling you constantly, you know, mm. boys don't do that. It's not just adults either. It's kids, too. Mm. I didn't get a lot of gender policing from my parents who are like kind of hippies or former hippies. Um, I definitely did from other kids. And I remember mm. and, and again, I don't want to like equate gender identity with gender expression because, you know, there are. Trans women who are very butch and still identify as women, just like there are cisgender women who are butch and identify as women. And there are trans men who are very feminine, just like there are cis men who are feminine. But as far as gender expression goes, I remember things like I had this shirt that was hot pink and had a star on it. And my mom was like, oh, you should wear that. And I was like, I can't wear it to school. The kids will make fun of me. So like I was very aware of that coming from a lot of places. I mean, there's also tons of stuff in media, and especially there was then, which portrays anybody who, like, breaks outside of those stereotypes as, as grotesque or laughable or, or villainous or something like that. This is, a, I mean, it's, it's such a fascinating thing. And, and then, I mean, there are people who don't necessarily identify male or female. I mean, uh, like, like I, when, yeah, you use the <laughs> they, they pronouns, which, which is perfect in that sense. I, how, how did you, I don't know how to phrase this question correctly, but... <laughs> You know, when I was young, you could definitely, if you were a man, you could say, I want to be a woman. That, you know, was something people could understand. When I was young, I don't know that you could say, I don't have a gender or I don't embrace a gender. So when has that become more socially acceptable? When did you realize that was the direction that you were going? So my, my, my gender road is long and complicated. I came out as a girl in high school and then for various reasons detransitioned, um, which was not a great experience, but uh, regardless, um, after that, I sort of had this feeling for a long time, like, oh, there's some, there's another chapter in the gender book that I'm like not ready to read yet. Um, but it was, it was a very disorienting and confusing time and period in my life. It was also like being in college and away from home for the first time. And really, what happened was um, 
the summer after my junior year, um, the junior year was a very rough time. It was the roughest year in my undergrad. There were a lot of factors that collided. And one of my close friends in undergrad came out as using they, them pronouns. And I was sort of like, hmm, how interesting. <laughs> um, and it, it, that it really felt like something just went click. There was this puzzle that I couldn't figure out how to put together and suddenly it just like fell into place. Oh, wow. And how does this all relate to music? I'm just curious for the three of you. I mean, e even Devin, with a piece like, like we played of yours, where, where you have an extra musical concept guiding the piece, nonetheless, I mean, you're a composer and, and it's coming from you. How much is gender it plays into the music that you write? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's musically, it's interesting because I think a lot of my concert music, none of it explicitly deals with themes of being trans. I wrote this bassoon sonata called Rotational Games. And a lot of the music, especially in the first movement, has to do with with separation and, and, and something starting out feeling very familiar and then becoming uncomfortable and, and things aren't lining up the way they're supposed to be lining up. I don't really feel comfortable saying, oh, that's a piece about being trans. But I would also bristle really heavily if someone were like, oh, that's not trans music. And I want to insist on being able to be both and saying like, the thing that makes a piece universal is not its ability for like cis people to relate to it. Um, like everything I write comes from who I am. And so if you relate to something that I write, congratulations, you're relating to a trans piece. Well, we have rotational games. Who's performing on this? I'm playing the bassoon in this recording and the pianist is Nick Kirby. Let's do it. Let's hear rotational games.
That's music by Bryn Solomon, who is one of my three guests on the program today. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. Today's program is called Gender in Music, and I'm speaking with three fascinating composers who slay the gender dragon every day. They are Bryn Solomon, Alex Temple, and Devin Fanslow. To subscribe to our podcast for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, or if you'd like a complete playlist of the music that you've heard today, you can visit relevanttones.com. I have a song cycle for voice and string quartet called Behind the Wallpaper, which is about somebody undergoing a mysterious transformation, the nature of which is never entirely specified, but like possibly turning into an alien or something like that. And for example, there's a song in there about um, having a secret and being asked about it too early. And when you try to talk, fish come out of your mouth, uh, which I think of as a metaphor for like a failed coming out. Why you looked away and passed 
so yeah, I've I've dealt with it somewhat explicitly in narrative work. Um, but when I say explicitly, maybe that's not the right word. I've dealt with it, but via surrealism. Mm. But coming out is not uh, a, trans a, a transformation necessarily. It's, it's really discovering who you have been all along. Is, is that right? I think that it depends who you ask. Um, for me, I don't feel like my gender identity has always been the same. I feel like it has mm. changed. Um, and there are a lot of trans people who would say absolutely the opposite of that, like I've always known. And I think the I've always known narrative gets more attention uh, in like mainstream media, but I think it's important to recognize that it doesn't, not everybody fits that. I, when I was a kid, I thought of myself as a boy, um, sometimes as an alien or a dinosaur. Uh, which sounds funny, but I think that was actually a way of, of escaping from, from socially prescribed uh, categories. Um, for a long time, I thought of myself as a cross-dresser, and then I thought of myself as, as gender non-binary for a while before ultimately coming to frame myself as a trans woman and finding that that was like the, the thing that fit the best. But I don't think it was discovering who I've been all along so much as it was like trying things out and seeing what worked and what felt right. And I don't think I could have done it earlier, as much as I, too, have immense envy of people growing up now who figure this out in high school. I don't know that I could have. Um, I think I had to go through a process of experimentation to, to find something that worked. Oh, wow. Let's talk about Lake Song, Alex. This is a piece that, that uh, you brought in. Yeah, so Lake Song is... Uh, a song from a project I've been working on for a long time, since 2011. It's a project that keeps changing forms, but it is currently in the form of a podcast opera called End. There's a lot of things going on in this piece, but the premise is that the world ended some time ago and nobody remembers it. That it ends with that realization that, you know, look around you, this is not the real world. This is not the world. This is some post-apocalypse strangeness that we're all trapped in. Uh, but the center of it actually is a conspiracy theory and a queer love story. So the protagonist is named Julie, and she discovers this online community, which is in fact a real community of people who are obsessed with TV and radio uh, closing logos, sound logos. And Julie goes to a support group for people who were frightened of these logos as kids. And while she's there, she meets this woman named Olivia, and they strike up a romance. And Olivia is a conspiracy theorist and believes that that closing logos portend the end of the world. Um, and what Julie realizes at the end is that, in fact, the world, she has a vision and realizes that the world already ended. And they have to split up because how can you have a relationship if the world is over? Lake Song takes place while they are um, driving around the Midwest, spending every night in different motels, just kind of on the road. And it's about an experience they have in Kenosha. Uh, it's Jenna Lyle singing, who is a uh, longtime friend and collaborator of mine, uh, also from the Northwestern Composition Program, founder of Parlor Tapes Plus and many other things, composer, performer. I've been working on this piece with her in mind as the main singer playing Julie. All right, here's Jenna Lyle performing Lake Song by Alex Temple.
It's a piece called Lake Song, Voice and Electronics. We heard Jenna Lyle, and the music is by Alex Temple, who is one of my three guests on the program today, along with Devin Fanslow and Bryn Solomon. You know, I was thinking while we were listening to Bryn's piece, I was thinking about everybody has, you know, the gender ocean. I mean, and, and I wonder what extent do you think people are uncomfortable with that and why and how can we embrace <laughs> the other parts of ourselves? Because I think that we, we would be more whole as human beings. I mean, for me, if someone says, you know, oh, you're being a sissy right now, it's like uh, it doesn't really hurt my feelings. <laughs> like, that's totally OK, because I've been told that since I was a child, you know. But for a lot of people, it really impacts their behavior. And if you've had personal experiences where you felt people were uncomfortable and it was more on them than on you, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, like, uh, growing up, I had a parent one time tell me to not cross my legs like that or the other kids will think that I'm gay. Um, I remember on the, uh, when I was on the bus and a close friend of mine that I was sitting next to, I was kind of talking his ear off about something that, you know, probably wasn't that interesting, honestly, but, like, talk, 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 and then he told me to shut up like you sound like a girl. And, you know, those sorts of things that are just sort of casually tossed out there, like, they build up over time. They don't seem like they're maybe that monumental at the moment, but, yeah, certainly. But it tells you a lot about that person, too, because that person says that to you, and so he's probably policing everything he says to make sure he doesn't sound like a girl. And how exhausting. (laughs) I mean, who wants to do that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think people just kind of have that fragility in their own identities, and, you know, people appreciate stability. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's so foundational to their worldview. They've been raised to believe that, I mean, it's a whole bunch of things, that your genitals at birth determine your categorization, one, uh, that your categorization determines how you should act, dress, and look, two, that it determines who you should date, three, and that these things are sort of fundamental to, to human society, and that these things are, you know, handed down by God or by nature, depending who you're talking about, maybe both. Um, and this is, people have a hard time when their foundational concepts are questioned. Um, I think it's the same reason, frankly, that, that the, so many people freaked out when Pluto was reclassified as, as no longer a planet, because that was the thing, like, they learned that as kids. And, you know, who are these people to come change what we learned as kids? And I think people who were raised without awareness of trans issues or queer issues they've built their entire expectation for their lives and for other people's lives and for the world they're going to interact with on those assumptions and so i think it makes sense that they feel threatened by those of us who are saying no it's not that simple and of course it's not that simple and we're not going to stop saying it one of one of the reasons that i actually do feel drawn towards identifying as a gender is that feeling of like I am not going to make it easy to like categorize me into your outdated gender system especially like being in a music theater program and like being like well you can't just ask if that's for women's voice because I know women who are basses just that constant stream of I'm just going to keep making these demands and if if I can hammer away the small things enough I can maybe throw some of the larger things into motion a bit more Let's transition to music. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Exactly. <laughs> Alex, let's talk about the next piece that you brought in. This changes, actually it's got an exclamation point. So this changes everything. Yes, <laughs> this goes way back. Actually, the original version is from 2005. Uh, it was originally just an electronic piece, like a synth piece for headphone listening. The story behind this is that I was trying to write a cello duo for some friends of mine and I was not feeling it. And like all I was listening to was Oingo Boingo at the time, so I decided to do something kind of synthy. Was it and Only a Lad? Which, which album? Sorry. Oh, of course, Only a Lad. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, first album, the most, the most harmonically experimental and rhythmically experimental, super problematic lyrics, but that's just kind of their deal. Um, so I decided to write something synthier and a little more hyperactive, if you want to call it that. And then subsequently, I did a version for soprano sax and electronics. And this version is my revision from a few years ago of that arrangement. So again, soprano sax and electronics with some improvements made, uh, performed by John Seaton, who 
really was just incredible to work with. I offered to make him a click track, and I think I maybe even did make it. And he was like, yeah, I don't even need it. I'll just, I can just play these rhythms, no problem. And he performed it a few times, and then we did this studio recording. This Changes Everything, music by Alex Temple, performed by John Seaton.
That's music by Alex Temple. We heard a piece called This Changes Everything, and this version is for soprano sax and electronics. It's a great performance, too, by John Seaton. Alex is one of the guests on the program today, along with Devin Fanslow and Bryn Solomon. We've been having a fascinating conversation on gender and music. I think these are things that we don't talk about often enough in the media. It's been a real eye-opener for me and, and a really interesting conversation. And if you'd like to hear more music by these three composers, please visit relevanttones.com, where we have links to their websites and all of the music that we featured on the program today. But all three of them have a lot of other music on their websites as well. Devin, Alex, and Bryn, thank you. Thanks so much for being our guest today on Relevant Tones. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Relevant Tones has been produced by Sarah Zwinklis. Heather McDougall is the project manager, and the executive producer is Tony Macaluso. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm Seth Bosted from the WFMT Radio Network, Chicago. We're visiting concert halls all over Europe, from the UK, Denmark, and also Canada, from new sounds from Europe. That's next time on Relevant Tones. Certains soirs, tu t'ennuies trop, regarde dans le ciel, tu pourras voir comme une lumière qui avance lentement.